Welcome back for session four of Ask Anything from Awaken to Grace. In today's session, we're going to be talking about Bible prophecy. We're going to be talking about sex, masturbation, all kinds of interesting topics today. A couple things I want you to note. We have a marriage resource called The Marriage Conversation. We've created a new website for that. So the URL is called themarriageconversation.com. It's a series of episodes we recorded only on marriage. There's a couple of Q&A episodes in that series, and then all kinds of great content for you and your marriage. If, If you have a marriage that is struggling, if you have a good marriage, there are resources that are still applicable to your life right now. So go check that out at the Marriage Conference. Also, download our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, wherever you get your mobile apps. And then check out our website, awakenedtograce.com. There you can find out more about Pastor Chad, about the ministry, visit our online store, see all of our free digital resources. Anything you need from us is there at awakenedtograce.com. Now, let's get to session four of Ask Anything from Awakened to Grace. The Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. So does that mean there is nobody in heaven right now are those who have passed away in a paradise holding place? So that's, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting question. Uh, I think that heaven is absolutely filled with God's people right now. You know, Scripture says we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I think heaven is cheering the church of today on the baton has been passed to us and right now you you know you, you think about this out of all of God's eternal church I mean all of God's people revelation says that one day all of God's people from every end of heaven to the four corners of the earth are going to be gathered together what an amazing thing that's going to be But you think of all of the centuries, all the millenniums of God's people, both Old Testament saints, New Testament saints. Out of everyone, we right now are the only church on the earth. Everyone else is in heaven, or rather they're not born yet. But right now, the church that is alive right now today on the earth We're the only church that's on the earth. The rest of God's people, the rest of the blood ball people, they're already in heaven. No, I think heaven is absolutely filled. I think it's filled with Old Testament saints. I think it's filled with New Testament saints. And uh, I think when someone passes, now this is important to understand. A lot of people don't realize this. Um, In heaven, it's your spirit. So like right now, my dad, my dad passed in 2017. And I believe that my dad right now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I think that right now, at this very moment, my dad is in the presence of God in heaven, but his body is not. The fact that the dead in Christ shall rise first, that's the resurrection. The only flesh, the only physical body that's in heaven right now is the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first and that's what we await. That's what First John means when it says in First John, I believe, chapter 3, that it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we shall be like him when he returns. 
We'll have a glorified body. But all of the saints who've already passed on, it's their spirit in heaven, because that's what's eternal. That's what's created in the very image of God. Right now, it's their spirit that's in heaven. So, yes, I believe that heaven is absolutely filled with God's people. Great. Let's stay on this theme here of heaven. We had we have a couple more, actually, that sort of <clears throat> are around that same topic. This one says, will we be the same age in heaven as we are when we pass away? Now, that's a thought-provoking question, and, and I don't think that there is a definitive biblical answer to that. I tell you what the church has always believed through the centuries, and this is speculative. Uh, many think that Christ died at the age of 33, which he would have been in the prime of life. And many believe that that age range of 33 would be basically the prime of life. Now, is that biblical? No. There's no biblical evidence of how old people will be or how young. Now, personally, I don't think that if a if an infant dies and is nine months old, I don't think that that infant is going to be an infant forever and ever and all of eternity. If an elderly person dies, Billy Graham died at 99. I don't think that Billy Graham is 99 for all of eternity. So how the Lord works that out, I honestly, I don't know. You know, it's interesting when John encountered everyone that he encountered in heaven um, in the book of Revelation, he gives no uh, he gives no indication of age. So, you know, when it comes to your spirit, when it comes to what's going to be a glorified body, I don't think age is, is really going to matter. Here's what Paul said. We're going to be known even as we are known. So how that shakes out, I, I, it's going to be quite fascinating. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that uh, whatever age a person passes, that's going to be their age for all eternity. No, I don't. I don't think that. Okay. Next question. All Israel will be saved. So is that all Jews or the remnant? No, I think it's going to be the remnant. Um, I don't think that just because someone is a Jew that they're automatically going to go to heaven. They must be born again. Paul said there's no longer Jew nor Greek. Uh, you know, there's not a distinguished, you know, it's not male or female. It's are you in the kingdom of God? Now, my view of, you know, end times, things is called eschatology and my view of eschatology is that right now we are in what Romans 11 and Daniel 9 teaches as the time of the Gentiles so I think what that means and and Paul really he masterfully lays out God's agenda for the Jewish people in Romans 9 10 and 11 and see it's interesting that the Jewish people you know they're the only people of the earth who have a recorded, now think about this, a recorded past, a recorded present, we know what's going on with Israel right now, and a recorded future. We know what's going to happen with them. God is not going to forsake his eternal covenant with the Jewish people. Every Christian needs to understand that. God made an everlasting covenant with the Jews, and God's not going to turn his back on that. What has happened, according to Romans 9, 10, and 11, is that the Jews are temporarily blinded 
to the gospel. For what purpose? Because God is bringing in a Gentile bride. The Bible says that we are engrafted in to this promise. We were without Christ. We were without hope. We were without the covenant of Israel or the commonwealth. We, d- we didn't have any of these promises as Gentiles. But now, because God has established the kingdom of God, where now there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, there's no longer male nor female, now we claim the promises of God. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. So what's going to happen? God, his agenda was the Jewish people all the way up until the death of Christ, beginning on the day of Pentecost, then the gospel opened to all of the Gentile world, I believe the time of the Gentiles is from the day of Pentecost until the rapture of the church, the harpazo, the rapture of the church. And then in that 70th week of Daniel, which is Daniel 9, 24 through 27, in that 70th week, which is going to be the seven-year tribulation period, God is going to once again turn his agenda back to the Jews. The church, the blood-bought New Testament church, is going to be in heaven. But God is going to turn his attention back to the Jews. And according to the scriptures, in the middle of that 70th week, Daniel 9, 27, the Antichrist, the beast, is going to betray the Jewish people, what Matthew 24, Mark 13, calls the abomination of desolation. He will offend God and the Jewish people. God will open the eyes of the Jews. They'll see the Antichrist for who he is. Uh, they'll flee to an area we believe is Petra, that rocked city. And the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, God is going to shelter them. He's going to supernaturally protect them. And there, their eyes are going to come open. And you know what? When the Lord Jesus Christ comes again in that glorious second coming, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, after the battle of Armageddon, the Bible teaches, I uh, believe it's Isaiah, let's fact check this, 63, perhaps 65. Christ is going to return. He's going to go, and there he's going to redeem Israel. So those are the Jews that I believe are going to be the remnant that are going to be saved at the end of the tribulation period. It is Isaiah 63. Yeah, Fascinating. Let's uh let's jump into some old King James. This oh. question says, <laughs> "What does it mean to ask amiss?" Yeah, well, why don't you read that text for us, Eric? Uh, read it in in the Old King James, and then of course I teach out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, and read it out of the ESV. I'll answer the question, and then more so, I want to get more to the heart of this. Uh, should Christians read the King James or should they use a modern translation? So this is James 4, verse 3. It says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. And then the ESV says, You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Yeah, so, you know, I think, I think you know, the, the ESV in in this is just my opinion this is just my view it's the most uh, clear translation for our modern english for today's culture i think new american standard bible is great i think the niv is strong um i think the living bible is good uh, 
But for me, in my own Bible study and my teaching, uh, nothing compares to the ESV. I think it's the most clear translation. I think a seven-year-old can read it and grasp it, and I think a 70-year-old can read it and grasp it. I, I just think it's the best. Now, uh, you know, I grew up in a culture of King James only, the type of uh, wonderful Bible-believing church that I grew up in. They uh, taught, and as far as I know, they still hold that the King James is the only inspired Word of God. Um, I don't believe that at all, and I'll tell you why. The King James, like any other translation, is just that. It is a translation of the original Hebrew Old Testament, Greek New Testament manuscripts. We have some 25,000 preserved ancient manuscripts of God's Word. And any Bible that you're going to read in any language um, is going to be a translation of the original Hebrew and Greek. So it doesn't matter what English Bible you have, it is a translation. So... um, so no, I don't believe that the King, if, if, if for, for my brothers and sisters who believe that the KJV is the only inspired word of God, I want you to think how limited this is. What you're saying is no other scripture was inspired prior to 1611. Well, that is 600 years past the first century church. So you're saying that for 600 years, There is not an inspired word. That's not true. And then you're saying that every other language of the world does not have the inspired word of God if it's not in the Old English. It's it's just not. You know, the the man who took me on my first missionary trips to former communist countries, there was a church here in, in our community that supported him for several years. And one day they dropped his support. And they said, you know, he inquired and said, you know, what, what's going on? And they said, well, it, we realized all those Bibles that you're doing in Romania, those are not King James Bibles. <laughs> and so you're telling Chinese, you're telling, uh, you know, Russian, you're telling all these languages that you don't have the authentic word? No, no. So, you know, for me... Uh, the ESV is extremely clear. Now, it's built on the foundation of the King James. And, and don't misunderstand me. The King James has been the crown jewel of Bible translation work for centuries. It ought to be honored. It ought to be admired. It ought to be revered. It ought to be deeply appreciated. But for today's Christian, there are some 288 words that are considered archaic, that we no longer use in our everyday English, that if you didn't grow up in Sunday school or you don't have some kind of commentary or you don't have a study tool, you're not going to know what those words mean. So, yeah, I think we can do, uh, I think Bible translation work is vastly important, and, uh, and I don't think it should be limited to the 1611 King James. Now, in this case, What's it mean to ask amiss? Well, it means to have wrong motives. It means to have wrong intentions. It means to ask for selfish gain. And I think as the King James aptly translates it, it means to ask wrongly. 
So, you know, if you're someone that you love the poetry or you love the history or maybe it's nostalgic and you grew up on the King James, I'm not saying you shouldn't read the King James. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, If it's a special part of your walk with the Lord, well, by all means, I think you're going to have to work a whole lot harder, (laughs) but, uh, you know, to to understand uh, certain things. But don't throw stones at people who use other translations, because at the end of the day, even the precious KJV is a translated work out of the original Hebrew and Greek. That was that was so good. That was you said two things that I had never thought of. The but the one that sticks out the most is yeah, when we do like we're right now in a, the season of our church, we're working on a translation project with First John. And it never occurred to me that that translation of First John isn't going to be an ESV translation. I mean, that's so fascinating to me. I never even thought of that. So wait, I learned. I learned something too. Wait, are are you serious? <laughs> then we're going to cancel the project. No, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> oh, all right. Next question here. Um, why do you believe the two trees, the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life were placed in the Garden of Eden together? Yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting. You know, where my mind goes when I hear that question. Of course, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's what the Lord told Adam and Eve, you don't touch it. Of course, what did they do? They ate of it. It was pleasant to the eyes, and Satan deceived Eve. Adam rebelled. Adam knew better. Adam full well knew what he was doing. And so they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it opened their conscience. Now, the important question for me is why did God kick them out of the garden? Did God, was he just mad? <laughs> was he just angry and said, you know, I'm not going to share what I have created for you, so you're going to be kicked out? No, I think there's a greater purpose to why they were kicked out of the garden, and the reason was because of the tree of life. The tree of life is eternal life. Now, we find the tree of life in the last chapter of the book of Revelation at the closing of the Bible. One day when you and I, oh, I love this. One day when you and I are in heaven and all of human history has come to a close, do you know that one day when you and I are in heaven, according to Revelation 22, you and I will eat of the tree of life. Do you know why I think that God kicked them out of the garden? Was because had Adam and Eve partook of the tree of life in their state of sin from the tree of good and evil, they would have remained sinners for all of eternity. God in his grace, God in his love, kicked them out of the garden, protected it, with the angel, with a fiery sword, for what purpose? To preserve eternal life. Ah, it's fascinating to me. All right, we're going to shift gears big time here. This question came in. It says, is masturbation wrong, according to Scripture, even in marriage? So I have answered this question before, and I would encourage you to go to our resource. It's called The Marriage conversation. It's a series of podcasts 
Uh, Sadie and I host a marriage conference in Gatlinburg each year, and this question always comes up in our Q&As. And so we did a Q&A answering this question, and if you want more content about this, you can find that at the Marriage Conversation. Now, to give a short answer on this podcast, um, my answer... (laughs) My answer is, first of all, is it biblically wrong? There is not anything in the Bible that prohibits. Now, uh, there's a story in Genesis that some people will try to say that that teaches, uh, you know, that it's wrong. That's not the point of the story at all. The point was that the man was taking advantage of a woman and he would not give her a child. That's the point of that story. Now, in Song of Solomon or I I like to call it the Song of Songs, written by Solomon, Uh, many scholars believe that there are many references there to co-masturbation in in marriage. Uh, I do not believe that that's wrong at all. I think in the context of marriage, the scriptures say, let the marriage bed be held in honor, let it be honorable, and, um, and let it glorify God. I think that you have a world of freedom within the marriage bed. I think God has given his children all freedom uh, sexually within marriage. Now, what couples have to figure out, where is that freedom limited? It's limited in perhaps what would violate your conscience or your spouse's conscience or what does not glorify God. But I do not think that uh, every situation of masturbation is wrong. I think of couples who perhaps they are separated by distance for long periods of time. Perhaps there's times of illness or times of physical limitations. No, God has given you a world of freedom within the marriage bed. And, uh, but anything outside of marriage sexually is wrong. A lot of times, you know, the church emphasizes virginity. No, the Bible emphasizes purity. So within the marriage bed, yes. Now, what I would say to marriages, this is where it also needs to be considered. Uh, if masturbation is done in secret, I would say your marriage is unhealthy. Um, We often say in our marriage conferences, secrecy is as destructive as outright lies. Secrecy is the enemy to intimacy. But if it is with your spouse, if it is within the marriage bed, then I do not see any biblical, um, anything biblically that prohibits If you want to learn more, check out themarriageconversation.com. Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.